Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to episode 51 of the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the Lex Town, Josh Hopkins. What's up, Joshua? Mm-hmm. Just just uh, living living the dream here in Austin. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Just hanging, just chilling in Brooklyn. Uh, another nice day here. Been a little hot and humid. How about there? Yeah, well, it's been triple digits for like two months, but yeah. I like it. I like the heat. Uh, episode 51, you got any 51s? 51, episode 51. Um, well, how about Randy Johnson, the big unit? The, the, the bird killer. The bird Randy killer, Johnson. yeah. Randy Johnson. <laughs> That's Fit, one of the craziest. 51, what about you? Any 51s? Uh, well, there's the, the, for Kentucky, there was Oliver Simmons, national <laughs> okay. champion nice Oliver pull. Simmons. 51 and but you've got a most a lot of people would think uh of uh dick butkus dick butkus um ichiro suzuki yeah 51 not bad it was fun not not a bad player hey uh uh you read anything this week no i didn't nothing you no no not at all book club yeah okay uh Uh, what else has been up with you, bud? Anything good? Um, oh, you know what? I want to show this. I was going to ask you about what, what do you got going on your wrist right now? Okay, so this is number 22, Oat Strong. Believe on the other yep. side. This is a lot of people might not know the story of Chris Oates. He uh, was a Kentucky linebacker. Um, and I think in 2020, he had a just a debilitating massive stroke and uh, he's can't walk. He's recently taken his first steps with help. Um, Speech is a problem. And to go from a guy who was a great, great athlete to, you know, in a day, you you know, you just can't imagine. And, and he's, he's a big guy. And and one of the only places he can get real rehab is in this place in Florida because the machines and all are built to his size and it cost a lot of money. And he made some real strides when he was, when he was down there. And now uh, they're just trying to raise money to, you know, make sure he's going to have all everything he needs at home, his family, you know, that changes every family member now, uh, you know, dynamic and, it's just a story and he's working so hard and inspiring so many people. So uh, if you go to 22, 20, 22 Oat Strong is his GoFundMe. Say it and, again. Uh, 22, 22 Oat Strong. O-A-T. Oh, yeah. O-A-T-S. No, not a O-A-T-E-S. O-A-T-S. 22 Oat Strong. What a guy, yeah, what a no, story. And do what you can. Yeah. Uh, Bud, let's uh, switch gears, and I want to get right into our guest this week. We've got a good one. Uh, I actually know this fella a little bit. Fella, listen to me saying fella. I'm officially old. Yeah, um, see, I saw this fella, and fella. I told him to put right. up his students. He's a good fella. He's a good Look fella. at my broad here. <laughs> see? <laughs> <laughs> I like this. I like this guy. Uh, I've gotten to know him a little bit and uh, uh, did a charges podcast with he and a partner of his uh, about a year ago. But I'm excited to uh, talk with this guy today. And I think you will be too. 14 year NBA veteran, NBA champ, host of all the smoke. Matthew Kelly Barnes, Matt Barnes. Welcome, buddy. I got the full government. This we we must be in business today, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I try to I try to find everybody's middle name. Some people don't want to come off of it. Some people hide oh, it. I but uh, I, yeah. I I used to hate my middle name when I was younger because the kids would make fun of me and I because my mom named me Kelly 
And I was just like, why did you do it? And she's like, when I was growing up, the baddest motorcyclist in our in our neighborhood, he didn't up, but also took care of the whole neighborhood. His name was Lee. So that, that kind of made me feel better. But I'm 11 at the time, getting made for having a girl's middle name. So it, it kind of eased the pain a little bit, I guess. Mm-hmm. A boy no, I get it. A boy named Sue. Yeah, that's right. My middle name is Everett. So I understand I got made fun of as well. Hey, hey Matt, um, I, you know, I know some of your background. You know, I, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. Um, just as, as a sports person, but getting to know you over the last few years has been amazing. I know some of your background, but for, you know, average folks who might not, might not know you moved to Sacramento when you were young and you kind of stuck out cause you were a black kid in a mostly white school. Um, yep. talk to me about that. And what was your childhood childhood like? Um, I grew up biracial uh mother italian dad black um in san jose born in 1980 uh my dad was in the streets uh doing things and in 1988 we moved to sacramento so i was eight years old uh moved to sacramento that was the first time even though i'm I'm biracial it was the first time i was really around white kids um you know my neighborhood in san jose was primarily black mexican uh and asian and I moved to Sacramento um, and my neighborhood was similar, but my parents um, always seemed to put me in white schools once we got up there. And I just never really understood why, like you said earlier, I stood out like a sore thumb. Um, but looking back on all these years, I'm thankful for it. And, and the reason why I'm thankful for it was because it just taught me how to move in different spaces. Um, now, that's not to say the second I got there, I faced a whole lot of racism. Um, you know, this is nine years old, so I'm going into third grade, not understanding why they won't let me play basketball. They won't let me play kickball. They won't let me play football. They won't let me play baseball. And I'm just like, like these kids won't even give me a chance. And then, um, you know, through that, some of the kids started calling me nigger. And I was just like, this is like, it it was, as a child, you don't understand the color of your skin makes you different. You know, you just feel like, Hey, you know, we're kids, let's play. But, uh, you know, that really started to get to me. And, I, you know, obviously, uh, as a young kid, I'd go home to my mom and, and, and she would do what a mother did. But my dad was on the opposite end. He's just like, you know, if they call you nigger, they do this, they do that. Fight them. Fight, you know, fight, stand up for yourself. And I'm like, oh, OK. So that's kind of where really wow. the mentality that lasted up till now uh, started <laughs> was just kind of standing on my own, defending myself. And, you know, facing a lot of racism. So, again, fast forward um, now, after I started, you know, kind of fighting my way to acceptance, uh, kids started letting me play. And, and, you know, I was a standout athlete in football, baseball, basketball. And oddly enough, have friends to this day that started off as people who didn't accept me. Yeah, damn. You know, I I think back and I'm I'm trying to think about, you know, uh, what I always admired about your game. Well, the main thing is that you have as much defensive confidence uh, as most players have offensive confidence. And that's one of one of the main reasons I love you. But I, I'm thinking back and as a young person, you know, you played sports. Um, I'm sure at times getting lost in the sport, some of that anger and stuff had to come out and, oh, yeah. and did it. And if it did and when it did. How were those lessons learned, learning how to dial it down on the football field or or basketball court? Well, that was the one thing that really kind of honed me is most people. I was a football player first, uh, you know, senior, <laughs> league, senior year, All-American, led the nation in touchdowns, had my option of, of where I wanted That's to go amazing. to high school. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, I chose UCLA in basketball for the longevity. But, you know, I always considered myself Rex. Um, a football player that played in the NBA. You know, I always loved, like you said, to play defense. I love to mix it up because I came from the gridiron and I just always played really hard. You know what I mean? Football, I mean, basketball, trust me, basketball is very tough and we all know how hard it is to make it to the NBA and even to college, but football is just a different discipline and a different mentality. Yeah. And, and, you know, if, if you're slacking it all out there, that's when you really get hurt. So my motor was always full speed ahead. You know, I learned as a receiver, I got to hit these the safeties before they hit me. So I, you know, in the second round, I like to shoot more balls up and, 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 and really show more. 
but I realized that in defense, it was always something that I could at. Um, and luckily, I got in the league in 02 where you could still play a little bit of defense. So I kind of just realized <laughs> that, okay, if I get out here and play defense, I'll be able to, you know, work on my game enough to show that I have a little bit of NBA offense. And that was kind of just the approach I took, you know, really until that 2007, 2006, 2007 Warrior season. You know, I was really teetering on the fence of possibly not being in the NBA, having NFL li- uh, workouts lined up just to see it, just in case it didn't happen. But Gosh, I finally, you know, Don, Don, Don Nelson gave me an opportunity in 06. And, uh, you know, from there, all I really needed was the confidence of a coach to really give me an opportunity. He did that. And, you know, I, I feel like that 06 season, although it was my fourth season going into the NBA, that was kind of really like my first season, really getting an opportunity to do a little bit of everything. And then from there, you know, I was lucky to hang on for another, you know, 10 years, 11 years. Well, I do want to say something to the to because a lot of people will be just listening to this pod and there's a little bit going in and out. But, you know, it's so on brand. I love it because you're known as a guy that really gives no fucks. And this is our first guest driving during the podcast. You know, my days got stacked up. ESPN called me in yesterday, so I had to change my workout time because uh, I have to go into ESPN I get home and get showered up. So I apologize. Normally, I'd be sitting, no. normally I'd be uh, sitting and conversating with you guys. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great. It's perfect. Um, Matt, so go back. You're an All-American high school football player. Um, why did you choose to play f- basketball instead of football? Was it? You know, UCLA tradition, John Wooden, Steve Lavin, or the money UCLA paid you. <laughs> I, I, I didn't I didn't start getting. Um, I really just felt like it was uh, it was a longevity thing, Rex. You know, at the time, you know, Tony Gonzalez is probably four or five years older than me, but he's only six, four. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just didn't see any six, eight guys growing across the middle. Obviously, I know my history and guys like Harold Carmichael and then guys that came a little bit after me, Gates. But no one outside of Harold Carmichael was, you know, over six, six, four. You know, so I just thought, you know, at the time, six, eight, two, fifteen. These strong safeties, these middle linebackers are going to be tearing my ass up. So I yeah. just felt yeah. like. You know, I, I felt like obviously and, and, and when I say this with all due respect, because I know how hard it is to make it in any professional sport, but I wholeheartedly believe that I could have made a splash and an impact in the NFL. I just didn't feel like it would have been as long as the run I had the opportunity to have in the, NFL, uh, the NBA was. Steph Curry's record breaking three pointer, Jason Tatum's buzzer beating alley-oop, John Morant's poster dunk. NBA Top Shot is where the greatest moments from NBA history are turned into officially licensed digital collectibles. NBA Top Shot has evolved trading cards by making it easier to buy, sell, and collect by removing the hassle of grading, shoe boxes, and shipping fees. You can buy or sell moments in a few clicks and access them at any time on your phone or computer. Your collection is always at your fingertips. Start collecting Top Shot moments in any way you want. Collect rookie moments from future stars like Evan Mobley and Kay Cunningham. Collect throwback moments from former NBA stars like Shaq and Allen Iverson. Or collect moments from your favorite team to gain access to exclusive perks. Grab your starter pack today and Top Shot will give you $20 back to start your collection and pick up some of your favorite moments in the marketplace. Go to about.com nbatopshot.com slash bballnews and get in the game today. When I was watching, I was finishing up playing as you were kind of, you were in college and just finishing up. And I remember watching you all through your college career and they'd be like, well, he's probably a second rounder. I don't know. Might not get get drafted. And I never fucking understood it. I couldn't get it. He's six, seven, he runs, he jumps. He's a football player. He's defensive. I didn't get it. How was that, you know, and there I am on the other end who, you know, a high draft pick and had it, you know, guaranteed contract right away at a young age and all that. How was it for you knowing and feeling like, man, I am a first round pick. I'm a lottery type guy. They just don't know it. How was it fighting through that? Uh, just really to prove myself, you know what I mean? Because when I went to UCLA, we came off back-to-back number one recruiting classes. So the 97 class was Baron Davis's class. They were number one in the uh, in, in, in college. 
number one recruiting class. And then my class came in where we had four McDonald's All-Americans and I was the fifth guy. I didn't make the McDonald's All-American game because I was hurt my senior year, but we had, you know, I was kind of the fifth of four McDonald's All-Americans. So uh, Coach Lav put me, you know, because we were so, we had Jerron Rush and then the next year we had uh, Jason Capono. So Lav put me as an undersized power forward, you know, so this is before that was cool. So I'm six, six, seven, six, eight, 210, 215, trying to guard the Collins twins and, and, and Boozer and all these other guys. So it's just like, I was put, I never really got a chance to get on the wing because, you know, and, and I was thankful just to have an opportunity to be on the court because my whole thing was just put me on the court. I'll make something happen. But when I first came in the NBA, as you know, it was more positional there. You know, the, the number the fours were power forwards. These guys are 610, 611, Chris Weber, Kevin Garnett, Dirk Nowitzki, McDice, and I'm just like, well, I'm definitely not a fucking power forward. So when I came, to the, when I came to the league, it was just kind of really finding my footing as a wing because I hadn't been a wing in four years, you know, since high school. So kind of try to really just having to prove myself. Did I feel like I had the talent? Yes, but there were times that I just didn't get the opportunity. So I would start doubting myself, like, you know, do you have, do I have the talent? Right. Do I have what it takes? You know, am am I this good? And it really, I really had to, you know, I hit rock bottom. I want to say my my second year where I was with Sacramento and I was in the Chris Weber trade and he, you know, lifted his no trade clause and went to Philly to play with AI after his uh, big knee injury and just didn't get a chance to play at all. And I'm just like, damn, you know what I mean? Like, is this what it is? And that's when I start thinking, you know, is, you know, what's next? Is it football? Is it, am I going to keep grinding? And I, and I always got to thank my big brother, Chris Weber. He's just like, you know, you know, you have it, but how the fuck is someone else going to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself? So it was really like that mental hurdle because Rex, you know, there's so many guys in the league that have talent. If you're on an NBA bench, you have talent. Now, whether you get the opportunity or not, or whether you seize the moment when you get the opportunity is two different things. So I just hadn't really had a chance to get the opportunity, you know, so I'm going into my fourth year and I really hadn't got any significant time. And and that's when I went to Golden State and, and, you know, Don Nelson saw me play in the summertime. Quick story. I was uh, in Sacramento at the time. My former UCLA teammate, Baron Davis, uh, had just got traded to the Warriors the senior before. It's like, hey, we're having a pickup game down here in the Bay. If you're not doing nothing, pull up. And he literally hit me maybe 8.30 and it started like at 11. So I'm like, damn. So I got up, took a shower and got on the freeway, drove an hour and a half. And really played well in this pickup opportunity. And little did I know Don Nelson was sitting, you know, the old the Warriors practice facility inside yeah. the old hotel. The coaches, yeah. the coaches <laughs> see down on the floor. And I didn't know Nelly was watching the whole time. And he came down after and introduced himself and put his arm around me. He's like, what are you doing this season, kid? I'm just like, man, I'm trying to find a job, coach. He's like, well, I really like what you did. I can't promise you anything, but I promise you if you play as hard as you did today, I'll give you an opportunity. So I signed, I was a training camp invitee. So they already had 16 guaranteed contracts and three guys they had already invited. So I was a 20th guy coming into training camp. And like I said, you know, all you need is the confidence of the coach. And the fact that he told me is like, if you come out here and do what you do, I'm going to give you a chance. So I busted my ass in training camp, obviously beat the invitees. They ended up cutting someone who had a partial guarantee to give me a chance. So I'm starting Damn. on the end of the bench at the beginning of the 06 season. I'm on the end of the bench, you know, getting, um, you know, garbage minutes. We weren't a very good team at the beginning of the season. So I was getting a little opportunity to play. You know, I took my practices as games, even though we all know Nelly doesn't practice as much. So I just kind of kept grinding until I really got the opportunity to, 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 to show my show what I can do. And uh, Nelly finally gave me a chance. I went out there and played well. And then after that, there was really no uh, looking back. It was amazing for me to watch, you know, and that that's where I, I think I credit you the most, you know, yeah, guys bounce around from team to team and yeah, uh, maybe you say you started as the 12th guy, every team you ever played on, it didn't matter if you came off, you know, waivers or whatever it was, you within days were in the rotation, you know, maybe, starting, maybe starting even starting, man, starting yeah, or six, and, man. And starting so, so it was undeniable that you played the game the right way. It was undeniable that you had the, uh, well, you could be thrown into a game and guard anybody right away, pretty much. Do you ever think about, Matt, uh, you know, today's game, six, seven, your size, you know, what you would have, you know, because <laughs> – Again, we had we had Jerry Stackhouse on a while back and, you know, Jerry basically played kind of inside in college yep. for a lot of college. Can you mm-hmm. imagine, you know, today's game and how guys are trained like your kids are now knowing, you know, you're going to have the size six, seven, six, right. eight. What, you know, 
you could have been doing, you'd have been shooting threes, you know, right. early, early, right? A lot early. You know, I was the first person in NBA history. Of my, I think it was my first four years. I only made 10 threes. Wow. Uh, and then that fifth year when I started playing, I made it over 110. So I was the first person wow. ever to have that kind of because I got the opportunity. But I mean, to your point, today's game, and that's what I, when I coach my kids, it's, it's all about versatility. You know what I mean? Everyone is big and everyone's got to be able to do, do everything. You know, so again, in college, I was an undersized power forward, but in, in, in today's league, I would, I could be a stretch. It would be more of a stretch four, or even thrown at the five sometimes, you know? So the game is <laughs> obviously evolved because to me, I just feel like, and I say this with all due respect, it's just more of a glorified pickup game. You know, when we first came in the game or, or as you were playing and as you were leaving, the ball went inside out. You know, the yeah. big had to touch the ball before you got any kind of perimeter shots or anything else going in the game. Now there's bigs that, you know, I could probably name three or four bigs that can even make a move, you know, right. with their back to the basket. So the game has changed so much and it really fit really those tweeners, those in-between guys that could play three, two, three, four. Um, so, you know, it, it's dope to see, but that's what I really preach to our kids these days, because obviously, you know, I want to be this, I want to be that. And I just try to teach our kids, first of all, it's, it's the mental is, is the real grind, but it's going to be positionless. I feel like in the next handful of years, it's going to be guys that can do a little bit of everything. You know, you got to be very skilled these days. It's not so much about strength or height anymore. Now it's more about skill, skill set and ability. And, uh, you know, where I feel the game lacks today is because obviously I feel like these kids are more skilled than they've ever been. I feel like they lack basketball IQ because it's so much one-on-one -on -one ball handling, me, 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 instead of understanding how to work off the ball, how to set a screen and, and, and flare, how to set a screen and dive, how to play off the ball. So that's really the kind of stuff I try to instill in, you know, my kids team that I uh, coach, my 13U team, is just kind of keeping your basketball IQ sharp and understanding how to play in space and play through concept because, again, kids are super skilled. They just lack that. Uh, to me, the basketball IQ, some of them do. There's, you know, obviously some very heady players out there. For I think, would think for the most part, if a guy doesn't have the ball in his hands today, he doesn't know what the fuck to do on the court. <laughs> I went through. I, I, I went. My son's thirty now, but I went through. You know, the AAU stuff with the, with him and different teams and programs and all that stuff. Uh, it was super enlightening because when I came up, AAU was just starting. I might play two weeks in the summer of AAU. Uh, and that, that was what it was. And then you're back with your high school team. Are I, I guess, what are your thoughts on AAU? And as a dad, as a dad, are you able to enjoy it at all? Uh, well, you know, coming up, AAU was for the best players. You know, not everyone can play AAU when we were coming up right. now. Everyone plays AAU, so it's so watered down. Like, if a kid is not good enough anymore, he either jumps teams or his dad starts a team, and here goes a whole new <laughs> eight. <laughs> yeah. So AAU, to me, ha has been watered down a little bit. But then I also know just the dirty side of, you know, these kids. Again, my kids are 13 years old, and, you know, they're being offered shoes. And, you know, shoes are everything right now. If you get some yeah, shoes, yeah. I'll go get some shoes. So the process is just kind of just so up and down, in between and dirty, that I just really felt like, you know, as a father, once I retired in 17, I always wanted to coach my boys anyway, but particularly in this basketball space because it is nasty, you know. So I we have a uh, a 13 new team now. I started coaching them in 2017, so they were eight or nine years old, and we've climbed in that process. You know, I started coaching them. I was like, you know, I told the parents like, hey, we can have a really fun team that you know the parents get together and barbecue and drink and kids play, you know, these weekend tournaments. Or we can try to go after the number one team in the country. And obviously the parents and the kids, oh, we want to be number one. So <laughs> under, understanding what that meant, you know, unfortunately, we had 10 kids at the time. We only we still have four kids from that original team. But in the meantime, we've picked up six kids and, you know, we, we peaked at number two about two weeks ago, but lost wow. uh, in this big tournament. So I think we'll finish the season, you know, top three or four um, in the country. But it, it when I ask, do I enjoy it? I enjoy it from a standpoint of. I love seeing my kids and, and, and these other kids because I look at them as my children, just kind of understanding and see them kind of the, the light bulb coming on. And, and yeah. to me, I tell them, I'm so busy. I don't have time to teach your kids skill, uh, skill sets. And to be honest with you, they probably have better skill sets than me because the game is so tame. <laughs> but I can, teach them, I can teach them the mental aspect and the grind because, you know, my, my, my 15 years was not, you know, it wasn't a walk in a park. It wasn't guaranteed money until my sixth year. It wasn't the security that a lot of you, that a lot of you think once you get to the NBA, you have. So to me, my whole approach, like I said earlier, is just that mental grind and, and understand it's a marathon, not a sprint. So 
I try to prepare my kids mentally. Um, and that's the side I enjoy. Uh, but as far as weekend tournaments, I was gone the entire month of July. And three of those four weeks was AU from Atlanta to DC to Dallas to just game after game after game. And it, it, it really starts to wear on me because it's just like, man, I'm coaching these kids and then I'm one of the only parents here. So now I got to worry about 10, 13 year old boys, what they're doing at night. And it's just like, it's, it's fun because I'm with my kids and I'm sharing that experience. But to be honest with you, that's, that is a, just a mental, it, 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 it buries you sometimes, you know? So I really yeah. have to take time for myself and kind of regather and understand, you know, we're doing this for the kids and, and that's why we're out here. I, I'm interested to know, because you said you kind of inferred that your edge that you're known for that really, I think made you really stick out, you know, is your talent, but your, your mental edge and toughness. Um, but you, you sort of inferred that it was learned like your father told you, and then you did that, but there has to be some amount of innate toughness, but your environment made you tough. Your kids, do they have that edge? They grew up totally different than you. Yeah. Right. And and I think that's the goal. And and that's the thing that my ex-wife and I have always tried to understand that obviously I busted my ass so my kids didn't have to grow up the way I did you know what I mean but at the same time as you just stated my upbringing gave me the chip on my shoulder gave me the edge I felt like I needed to be able to make a uh, you know have a long run in the NBA my kids on the other hand live behind gates and go to private schools you know what I mean so it's just like trying to find that balance of understanding that you know we're not the richest family by any means, but we're very comfortable. And, you know, they don't have to go, you know, I used to have to wear my shoes, not till they had holes in it, but until my, my socks started going through my shoe and then my socks started getting holes. And that's when I finally, and still I maybe for maybe a month, I still had to tape the bottom of my shoes. Now my kids have so many shoes. They don't even wear some of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we try to make sure we give back as much as we can. I take my kids to underprivileged areas to give back and understand that like, you know, you're very lucky to be in the situation you're in. Now, does that transfer over to basketball? Uh, sometimes my kids are really, they have a really high basketball IQ and they can shoot the ball. But I always feel like, always feel like you could be a little bit more tougher. So trying to find a way to get my kids tougher because we used to go outside and play and some, we would fight in the neighborhood. And, you know, the, all that kind of stuff kind of added to who we were as people. Kids don't, you have to bake kids. You have to take their electronics away to make them go outside these days. So these kids don't get a lot of the child experience that made us, into the men we we are today so i have to try to be creative and find ways like i'm about to get my kids into boxing whenever they get into yeah. it i just let them get it you know i mean they're twins so they're not going to hurt each other too much but they need to be roughed up they need to fight each other <laughs> they need to understand yeah. that you know, it's not always sweet so i'm still as a parent trying to navigate that right there is understanding like okay you know I work my butt off to give these kids this opportunity, but how do I keep them grounded? How do I keep them humble? And how do I give them that edge? Because my edge came from the grind and and they don't necessarily have to have that off the court lifestyle grind that, you know, I came from, you know, two functions, two parents who were functioning drug addicts. Like they don't have to deal with nothing like that. So it's just like, how do you find that and incorporate that into who they are? So I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to figure that out and learn it, to be honest with you. I always wondered because, you, you talk about uh, that edge that you had and you were known, you know, not to be fucked with. You, you said and what you wanted. And that's what made you really, really special. And sometimes it came with some controversy. Yep. And I wonder how you learned to walk that razor's edge because you had to have that. But that that falls both ways. So how did you learn to navigate that? It was tough because it was funny. Someone just printed something out. uh, um, I lost nearly $600,000 in the league by, from fines and someone, it it was, it it was just pointed out the other day. So um, some of that was earned. Some of that was reputation. uh, Some of it was bullshit, you know? So it's just understanding, like you said, being able to walk that line. But I think what I was able to do was understand when to reel it in because despite with the contrary belief, you know, I am intelligent and I, and I, and I, you know, I do have a good head on my shoulder. So a lot of my stuff was calculated. Well, I felt like sticking up for a teammate or playing flat. So I need to get a tech or the ref is bullshit. So I need to let them know about myself. So when maybe one of our star players doesn't have to do that. So just kind of always running the game through my head 
thinking as a team and not necessarily an individual, like what does my team need right now? You know, do I need to go hard foul someone because, you know, Blake is getting beat up by Zach Randolph. Do I need to go hard foul Zach Randolph just to let Blake know, like, it's all good, bro. I got your back. So kind of just thinking the game um, from that standpoint. Um, but what I think has really helped me life after basketball is I've, I've really stayed true to myself. You know what I mean? I'm still, slipping up cussing on ESPN every once in a while. Um, my, you know, my podcast is kind of free swinging. So we're really getting a chance to be us, but I think that's what people appreciate because, you know, in a day and age where media, where everything is so sugar-coated and there's so much disrespect, I think it's, it's a breath of fresh air when you get realism and realness. And, you know, that's what I continue to try to be. I, I didn't try to come in this media space being someone else. I think Jay-Z said it perfect. Every room I walk into, I'm myself. I don't know how to be anyone else. Everyone else is already taken. So I'm coming in as Matt Barnes. Some people love that. Some people hate that. Some people don't understand that. But I feel like if you give me the opportunity and take the time to get to know me, you'll understand where I'm coming from because it's never really no, you know, ill intent. You know, I'm just going to really speak my mind. So if that has been a gift and a curse, but understanding how to channel that energy and sometimes frustration for the betterment of the team. And, and I failed at it sometimes, but I felt like I succeeded at it more. And now life after basketball, I really feel like I'm succeeding it because I'm able to use that reputation that people have of me to my advantage. You know, I'll go into business meetings or I'll go into opportunities now where I'm flying all over the country to speak to uh, schools and have, you know, hosting events and all these things. And people are like, wow, like, I didn't know this was you, you know, because I was like, you know, you saw me for two and a half hours, you know, and I came really at the end of social media, as far mm -hmm. as, you know, kind of just really showing your life every day. So social media post career has really been great for me. But during my career, I didn't really have that opportunity. So it's always refreshing to me when I go and I'll see people like, wow, after I start talking, or man, I didn't know this is, you're not a thug or you're not this, you're not that. I'm just like, I was never that. I was just really a competitor that came from and that had a, a tough upbringing. Can you believe, uh, you know, that that young man from whenever it was 13, 14, 15 years ago that, you know, was contemplating <laughs> after being traded to Philly, um, you know, going to football tryouts. Can you can you imagine being 42 and and having this sort of career in media? And what's been your favorite part of all this, Matt? <laughs> I could never imagine, um, you know, normally, and I was a journeyman, I was a role player. Normally those guys kind of fade off into obscurity uh, once they're done. Um, but I don't oh, know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just think again, like I just said, you know, I think me being me, you know what I mean? Uh, I think people kind of wanted to hear what I had to say once they find out I could do more than fight, so to speak. Um, and to, to, to ever think that I would have a, a voice that people, listen to and want to hear and respect. Um, it, it, it kind of, like I said, I'm just living a dream, you know, to be able to play. I wasn't, again, second round pick, cut, went to the G League, grinded eight teams, 15 years. Like who would have thought that post-career I'm sitting on one of the best sports podcasts in the space, um, one of the top analysts on ESPN. I do color for the Sacramento Kings. I just signed a deal with the MBPA to create content for the Players Association. So I'm just thinking like, normally the stuff that's happened to me only happens to guys that were multiple time all-stars and, and, and household names. So, you know, I never go by a day without really just being thankful for all the opportunities and people to really give me a chance. Because again, sometimes you don't get that chance. You know, you retire and, you know, people love you for who you were or people are like, you know, well, that guy was an asshole on the court. So let's, you know, forget him. Mm -hmm. So just really thankful for everyone who's really given me an opportunity to be able to show who I am as a person uh, and explain that, you know, that that dog you seen out on the court was just a competitor that loved playing football, was lucky enough to play basketball and made a career out of it. This podcast is brought to you by Branded Bills, the best place online for premium headwear and apparel. Branded Bills has hundreds of designs available, including our popular state collection, where you can show your pride with hats, shirts, hoodies, and more for all 50 states. Are you a company looking to brand your business? Branded Bills also offers custom apparel options that can meet your brand standards with fast turnaround and shipping. To shop or learn more, visit brandedbills.com today. Before, I, I'm going to let you get out of here before long, but I, I want to talk talk about the Lakers in a second. But real quick, you, you kind of triggered a memory for me, and it was when you're talking about your kids and 
them being young right now, 13. And uh, um, we all raise our kids to be respectful. You know, yes, sir. No, sir. Open the door for others, all of that stuff. And I don't think most people understand that that's fine and well in maybe even up through high school, you can't play sports that way. You can't be friendly like that. And that's, I think, you know, for a lot of us growing up the way that I did, you know, as a kid in the middle class in the Midwest, I didn't grow up like you did. I had friends that did. So I got that perspective, but I also knew I had to fight for what I had out there and I'll never forget. But also I was a nice kid. I would help you up off the court. I did that until probably I got in the NBA. I knocked you over. (laughs) I'd help you up, you know, and most people think that's what you're supposed to do. And as a person you are, but I'll never forget um, talking to Dell Curry. Uh, Stefan was at Davidson and Seth was in high school and Stefan had just started to kind of blow up and I had hadn't seen Seth play yet. And I said, tell me about Seth. He said, Oh, he's tough. He like, I wish Stefan was as tough as Seth. And now, now we both know Stefan is, he's a killer on the basketball floor. Nicest guy you've ever met. But at that point in time, even Dell for the great, one of the greatest players in the world he was talking about, didn't know, you know, just how tough, Stefan was if he got pushed he knew Seth had it and guess what Seth had to have it right right so anytime you're talking to your kids about it you know please let them know and 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 this this not only goes for Stefan and Seth it goes for Harvey Grant's kids who I I came up with watched them be born and Tim Hardaway's son who they were babies when we were growing up and they didn't grow up like you know, mm-hmm. Harvey and like Tim mm-hmm. did. So, mm-hmm. you know, watching the guys that you you've played with can be an awfully good uh, barometer sometimes. Yeah. All right. When I, Tell, I go ahead. No, I was just saying getting an opportunity to get thrown in the fire. I think that's what a lot of these kids need. And obviously we all know that, you know, this AU system, everyone is so pampered. You know what I mean? Again, if I don't, Dame Dillard just spoke to this the other day. If I'm not playing, I want to be traded. If I'm not this, if I'm sitting on the bench, uh, you know, it, there's so many opportunities and avenues that that when adversity hit you can run from that's the one thing I try to teach my kid you know obviously because I'm the head coach I can very easily right. start both my twins run every play for them but I feel like I'd be setting them up for failure so one twin starts one doesn't the one that comes off the bench is probably one of the best shooters in the country hit 10 threes just to, uh you know uh last wire <laughs> in Atlanta but to me sometimes he shies away from the big like I can tell when Carter's like nervous I'm just like bro get out of your head yeah. you know you're one of the best you know what I mean so to me it's getting thrown in the fire and going through those bumps and bruises and facing adversity. You know what I mean? I can't imagine how hard it is to have your dad as a former NBA player. He's coaching your team, right. but you're coming, you're coming off the bench. You know what I mean? And to me, I'm setting these kids up because I'm not always going to be able to be their coach. So I'm not just right. going to hand you the playbook. I'm not just going to run every play for you. Like you have to earn every minute. And sometimes when guys are hurt or not playing well, I'll throw the other twin in the starting lineup now because he understands like, damn, Okay, I've been grinding off the bench. I can't wait to start. But sometimes they think it's supposed to be handed to them. So to me, it's really throwing them in that uh, the fire, making them face that virtue. Don't let them run from the grind. Face that grind and get yourself better because that's the only way to me you're ever going to have a chance. Uh, I, before we go, I really want to hear what you think about today's stuff Rex wants to ask you. But I, And I apologize for asking this question because I'm sure you've talked about it ad nauseum. But – Man, that Kobe moment where you put the ball right in his face. I've watched it a hundred times. He didn't even blink and he just stands there. That's like real life Fonzie shit. Like I've never seen it. What can you talk us through that real quick? And what went through your head? Um, Let me back up because I came to UCLA in 98. Kobe came to LA in 96. And as everyone knows, the, the, the start of his career didn't really get off to what everyone thought it was supposed to be or what he thought it was supposed to be. So he was always on our campus. Kobe was walking. You would thought he was a student at UCLA, hanging out, eating, playing pickup games, working out. So I always got a chance to just see him, not necessarily befriend him yet, but just always see him. He would come back into Poly after we'd be done working out and go through his whole workout and be like, holy shit, like this is the next level. That's who I'm going to have to guard. So there was kind of always an admiration because I would see his grind 
Um, so fast forward, we are just com very competitive, always a mutual respect. Every time we played each other, I just looked forward to Kobe was that guy. I missed MJ by one year. So Kobe was that guy for my generation. Um, so coming to that Orlando Magic Lakers situation, Orlando had just played the Lakers in the finals the year before. We're number one in the or number one or number two in the East. They're number one in the West. End of March, we're heading towards the playoffs again. So this is kind of just more than just an ABC Saturday regular season game. Like we're thinking, okay, we're going to see these dudes in the finals in two months. So let's go. Um, and Rex, you can contest to this. Kobe, obviously one of the most skilled players you'll, we've ever seen, but he also wants to mentally fuck you up. So he's going to do the little shit that he's allowed to do. He's going to grab you. He's going to elbow you. He's going to hit you in your sternum. He's going to hit you in the back when the refs aren't looking. And I was just tired of it because he had got me maybe four times. He hit me in the sternum and knocked the wind out of me. I was like, I want to wring this dude's neck. So I was to the point where I was just ready to fight him. Like, put the basketball down, let's square up, and we can shake hands after. <laughs> so when that, <laughs> when that play happened, I promise you it wasn't premeditated. And I really wasn't even thinking about, dude, if you're watching me, I'm watching because the play was for Vince Carter. He's supposed to come off this back door and I was supposed to hit him. And then Dwight was going to flare somebody. And so I literally faked the ball in his face while I was watching the playoff to my right side, <laughs> not knowing if I was going to hit him, how, how close I was, anything like that. So it, it, it ended up being, you know, a, a legendary situation where not till after the game that I realized that his eyelashes were on the ball, didn't move, didn't. <laughs> and it was just it, it was incredible. But what a lot of people don't know is, you know, after that, that summer, he ends up calling me. Um, I didn't know his number. I never answered my phone. I happened to just answer this phone call. And he's like, what up? It's Kobe. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like, who the hell is this? Like, what's going on? He's like, no, it's Kobe. He's like, how are you? I'm like, I'm good. What's up? And he's like, what are you doing next season? And I, at the time I was talking because I was in Orlando and Stan Mungendi was bullshitting with my contract. So I was talking to D-Wade and Pat Riley about just going to Miami because LeBron and, and Bosh and everyone was on the way there. So I'm thinking I'm going to go play uh, with the Heat and see what happens. And then, you know, I'm from Cali, NorCal, Showtime, Magic was my life. So I get a call from Kobe, just, you know, anyone crazy enough to fuck with me is crazy enough to play with me. Do you want to be a Laker? <laughs> and I'm like, hell yeah. And I, when I tell you four or five days later, um, I was a Laker. And from there, we became teammates. And then from there, we became brothers. Obviously, if you guys, when you get done, go look at my Instagram. I literally just posted um, some code was just so dope to my kids. Uh, when I came, I came wow. to the Lakers in 2010, 11. So the boys were like three or four and they were, uncle. he was uncle Kobe from the beginning, every single shoe that he got, he sent him. So I just made a post wow. yesterday because I was going through something came up on my memories. Kobe's last pair, like Kobe's last shoe release. He sent the boys entire team shoes. It was on January 3rd, 2020. Obviously, 20-something days later, he died. But I actually ran across wow. the videos yesterday. Actually, I just posted them on my story. And it just shows that, you know, we went from a mutual respect to about to square up, to becoming teammates, to becoming brothers. When I tell you post-career, um, you know, Matt, what time the boys play? Kobe would come two hours early sometimes. You know, he coached Gigi. He would come two hours early just to watch our team and vice versa. We would go support him and Gigi. They would come support us. So we just really grew a, a brothership through obviously the ups and downs of a career. But outside of that, getting a chance to know the person, getting a chance, you know, not the Mamba who's a killer that only, you know, the most of the world knows. I got a chance to meet Kobe, the person, and talk business and talk life and go to dinner and hang out and do a lot of wild shit that a lot of people didn't get to do with him. So, you know, I'm always really fond of that relationship because it came about through, you know, a, a ball fake that ended up. He's like, man, if this dude's crazy enough to ball fake me, I need that on my team. And, you know, from there, you know, we became brothers. So obviously cut down too short, but it was just always a relationship that I'll really cherish because getting a chance to see the real him is, is nothing like people thought who he was as a person. It's great. I'm trying to go back. I'm trying to go back and you, you made a, a great, uh, I think a, a really poignant point uh, when you started talking about him, he came to LA in 96, 97 ish, I guess. And mm -hmm. you came to UCLA, what a year later, Two years, 98. Two years later. So you guys are going to be essentially the same age, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. And when Kobe came in the league, he didn't have success right away. In fact, nope. he wouldn't like I did. I didn't know how to play when I came in at 19. I've had a couple years of 
of college. He, he didn't know what he was doing. He went through all kinds of hell those first couple of years. Older guys didn't like him much. Younger guys didn't like him much. He didn't have any friends around, right? And imagine if you hadn't, if that's the only interaction you'd have had with him was watching him at US, UCLA and, and you would have never known. And that's the most beautiful part, I think, about our, our business and our basketball fraternity is getting to know one another. You might have played against one another. You might not have. But getting to know the, your peers who you didn't yeah. play with, getting to know them as people is super, super rewarding. Well, I mean, I was lucky enough to really see the entire journey. You know what I mean? Yeah. I got to see the journey. I got to see when he broke his right hand and he would come do left-handed workouts the entire time. And the next season, everyone calls, he's coming back shooting left hand. Like, what the fuck is this dude doing? <laughs> but when I tell you he would do entire workouts like he was a left-handed dude, pull-up threes, transition threes, working out the pick and roll left-handed because he has a cast on his right hand and he would just use the cast as a guide and shoot left-handed. I'm like, this dude's psycho. Like, what the wow. hell is he doing right you know what I mean? So to be able to see the, his journey to greatness. And like you said, he wasn't liked. And I, I, and yeah. I think deep down it bothered him because I remember, yeah. we were, I, you know, fortunate enough to have his last interview. And we were talking about the media and how they betray people. And he's like, you know, it's just like, how do you feel your whole career? They kind of beat you up. And he's like, I heard everything. And that shit hurt. You know what I mean? So imagine coming from, your, you know, your teammates. I remember one story where they said Kobe used to go on the bus with headphones on, but he wouldn't have yeah. the volume on just so he can hear who was talking shit about him. You know what I mean? Like it was a real grind and Shaq was the man at the alpha at that time. And he saw the talent in Kobe. And I think that's why he got maybe instead of embracing that, he's like, well, man, this little motherfucker's coming. Let me, you know, let me put him through the ringer real quick. You know what I mean? So yeah. he really had to endure a lot. Like that, they stopped bringing alcohol in the locker room because of Kobe. So then people are mad about that. So there's so many different things that happened to him along the journey that made him that killer. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. I was fortunate enough to see that side, but I was able to break that wall down and see the person and talk about how that kind of stuff made him feel. And I just really feel honored that he trusted me enough, one, to just let me in, but then two, to just to talk to me so candidly and, and really tell a side of him that not everyone got a chance to see. Beautiful. Matt, what's your favorite book? Oh, uh, sorry. No, 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 no. Favorite movie. Um, my favorite book right now is I'm reading the Will Smith bio and I really like it because I just like oh, wow. kind of reading biographies about people and how they came up and and, and, and just obviously people who have achieved greatness. Yep. Uh, favorite movie. I like to laugh because, you know, things haven't always been laughable. So I like to laugh. So I probably say favorite movie is maybe like um, Chris Tucker's Money Talks, him and Charlie Sheen, okay. Okay. late 90s. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Nice. That's a, nice. First. That's a great what about yeah. front row center to see anyone perform or speak artist dead or alive i'd take two i would take tupac and michael jackson tupac nice. was my favorite human and then michael jackson we all grew up we all thought we were michael jackson at one point in the 80s so that would be those two people great maddie yeah. barnes can't thank you enough brother much love come back and do this again okay man thanks for having me fellas you guys have a great day you too appreciate you later bro have a good one folks. from his car from his car, the whole thing. That's how you do it. He's on his that, grind. That was awesome. On, how great is, on brand. On brand. How great is Matt Barnes? Man, the thing I come away with that is he, I bet a lot of people, if you asked who was your favorite teammate, it would be him. But the way he took, first of all, the, he was like a utility player. UCLA, yes. he plays out of position. That's yeah. not good for his stock for the NBA, mm -hmm. but he does it for four years. Then he comes to the NBA, has to change up. Every team demanded different things out of him. And, and then you hear him talk about that. Well, I, a lot of it, you know, was premeditated. I thought, well, I need to go knock the shit out of this guy because he's not yeah. going to shit out my guy. Like he's thinking, you know, chess versus checkers. He's ahead mentally where you thought, man, this guy's kind of a mental case when actually he's, he's playing chess. You know, when you see a guy, you, you know, uh, we were growing up where we grew up or anybody thinking back to the time you're 13 or 14 and you see, the other team warming up on the other end. And if for me, if I saw Matt Barnes warming up on the other end, I go, oh, man, I hope that guy's not tough or he doesn't know what he's doing or doesn't like to play basketball. Matt Barnes was the guy. That guy wasn't. 
He was the guy you did not want to play against on the other end of the court. And you found that out the second that you squared off. You realized, oh, no, this is serious. I can't. Yeah, I can't mess around out here. I have to play hard now. Mm -hmm. Matt Barnes was that guy. He was trying to earn his keep. And and that I, I probably I've probably said it too much, but. Being a conscientious basketball player or a conscientious athlete or whatever it is, a conscientious actor, whatever your line of work is, it's about the highest compliment that someone can give you. And when I go watch guys play, you know, whether it's high school or college or whatever, I get very put out, put off by guys that aren't conscientious, don't know what the score of the game is, don't know what defense we're in, just came out of a timeout asking his coach again, how do we do this? What are we doing? Drives me crazy. And also those guys get weeded out. That's why Matt Barnes stuck around. The one thing I didn't get to ask him is that I wonder because I was the opposite. Like I had all the offensive confidence in the world every game I ever played in probably my defense had to catch up over, you know, in high school or in college, I was playing catch up. By the time I got to the NBA, I'm still playing catch up. And then at some point I could start going out and guarding others with the kind of same confidence I had as an offensive player. And that takes time. I wonder if Matt ever truly felt like his offense caught up to his defense. Yeah, it's interesting about his three-point shooting, he said, that stat yeah. 10 in his first four years or something. And then Amazing. Shot, I know he, he hit like seven or eight when he was at Golden State, had the record there for for a second. Like, I mean, think about that. Didn't And didn't shoot him in, in college. And where I was supposed to have been a three-point shooter, I think like my rookie year, I made 60. <laughs> Amazing. And on yeah. like, thir- like 30 three percent like just not even a shooter crazy wow. what a good I what a good dude ask, ask him about that kobe kobe it, yeah i mean he did he put that thing on his eyelashes yeah and kobe sat there like didn't blink i've watched it a hundred times because it it's the coolest thing <laughs> i've ever seen yeah if people listening to this have not seen it just yeah, just pull it google up. just say kobe just say kobe matt barnes yeah, and it'll come right up. <laughs> it'll come right and it up. It is crazy. So great! Can't wait to see what his kids do. It's just a, it's a great story. I'm a big Matt Barnes guy, and you are now too. Yeah, it's a good friend of mine now. That's right. <laughs> All right, well, let's do this again next time, buddy. We're back next week. All right, that's episode yep. 50, fifty-one great. with Matt Barnes. We'll be back next week, same time, same channel, right here, powered by BasketballNews.com. <laughs>